Welcome to The Wiretap. This is Phil Romo, and I'm in Burbank, California, with my friend, co-worker, Nicole Muraoka. Did I say it right? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and, uh, and, and introduce yourself, Nicole. Well, I mean, just to mm. ramble on, but mm. the reason why we're here today is... Um, we can talk about my experience, but really it's my family history that has just become so relevant lately. Uh, I happen to be of Japanese descent, yeah. and um, my entire family that was alive at the time were interned in, in the internment camps during World War II. Yeah, and, and we, we just hit upon the 75-year um, anniversary. It's not a happy anniversary. Exactly. What do you, what do you give for that 75 years <laughs> of... 75 uh, years of... Uh, <laughs> of Abuse a, of a presidential power, right? Abuse of presidential power. And, I, and, and you know, uh, when I, I, you know, I work here at the school and, you know, I will constantly walk by the office and hear Nicole going on a great uh, political rant. And I'll either jump in with it and, and state my opinion or I'll just walk along because I, I have a uh, I have a lesson. Um, but we, we always get into dis discussion. So. I, uh, I'm, I'm really, uh, excited about this episode because I think it's, it's poignant. I think it's, it's timely. Uh, I do want to touch upon something, a uh, topical current, uh, before we jump into Japanese internment, which should be a downer, but you know, we're bubbly personality, so we'll, we'll make that work. Um, it just happens that Milo Yiannopoulos lost his book deal and Milo, uh, if you're listening, I know you are. I just want to let you know, uh, welcome to the exciting world of self-publishing. Uh, when you make your book available on your website, um, I don't know if I'm going to download it. I don't think I have enough space on my computer. But uh, here's R.E.M. for you. Everybody hurts, Milo. And uh, let me just say that it couldn't have happened to a better fellow. So to catch the listener up, it's February 22nd, uh, 2017. And Simon and Schuster had uh, signed up Milo for a book deal, um, a reprehensible person. And uh, just two days ago, a video surface of Milo on a podcast like we are, like we are here, I'm saying something that I don't think either of us would ever say, but basically uh, defending uh, relationships between older men and younger boys and throwing out the number uh, 13 years of age. It's, it's just, it makes your stomach turn. I don't even really want to talk about it. You can look it up yourself. And uh, Milo is just kind of a theme on this show because the first episode, uh, we talked about the Berkeley riots and... I said, and I'm going to claim clairvoyance here. I said, with the First Amendment, you just let these people say what they're going to say and let the pieces fall where they may. So give them enough rope and they'll go ahead and hang themselves. That's right. And uh, he also got his CPAC uh, engagement, his speaking gig canceled, uh, which is a good choice. He's toxic right now. Um, one can hope this guy goes away, but... I don't know. Did you ever like look at one of his articles or have like a conservative or, or really a right fringe friend 
tell you, hey, check out Milo. He has some good things no, to say. No, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's just, and, and, and like I said, he's, he's just a professional troll. And uh, it's, it's sad that we have to even be talking about it. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, we're, we're, basic, we're basically done with the guy. But yeah, that's the limits of the First Amendment. And people say that the left, you know, liberalism is so against free speech. And I say I think there's another option. I think you just say whatever you're going to say. Let's, let's be open to it and let, you know, let's say Darwinism take over and see, and see what's going to happen. So, you know, uh, it couldn't have happened to a more miserable son of a bitch. Well, you have a right to say whatever you have, you know, but you also have the right not to listen, like to, to not pay attention. So like my mother used to say about the tabloids, you know, stop giving them your nickel. You're so upset about tabloid news. Then this is back in the old days when the Enquirer would be on the stand of the grocery, you know, stand. It's like, well, stop buying it. Stop supporting it. Exactly. Your, your, (laughs) your money is your vote. Your attention is your vote. And, and nowadays you, what, the articles you click on are your vote. Yeah. So whenever I have a, a left-leaning friend react and re, you know repost a Breitbart, a bright Breitbart <laughs> yeah. uh, article, I say that's what they want you to do. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually put it in the comments. Says, you should probably take this down because the more clicks they get, the more ad revenue that, oh, that they, they get. Yeah. You know, that's that's probably the the best reaction here. But uh, just wanted to touch upon that because it will be old news by the time it comes out next week. Um, so uh, as you can tell, uh, oh, you, you can't tell by her voice, <laughs> but my friend Nicole is of Japanese descent. And she even she I'm going to post this. She uh, spelled out uh, how, how you say her name. Muraoka. Nicole Muraoka. Um, and uh, she uh, brought this. She over the course of the last week since we knew that we were gonna do uh, the uh, the Japanese internment uh, episode, she brought some awesome, awesome items. So uh, for those of you that don't know, and it's, it's hard to imagine that you wouldn't, December seventh, nineteen forty one, a date that will live in infamy. These are the words of. But who used to be my favorite president, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, talking about the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese government. So it's interesting. The word infamy was kind of added in. And it was, I think you told history. me origi- originally he was going to say a date that will live in history. So he dictated the speech. His assistant typed it out. And then he crossed out history and then wrote infamy. So it was his second draft that he yeah. changed that word. Yeah, and and uh, this is probably to get the U.S. involved in the Second World War and in, in the conflict coming coming down. Now, this is relevant because due to Executive Order nine zero six six, the order relocated Japanese Americans into military camps. Two-thirds were American citizens, many of whom had never set foot in Japan. These were Americans. And this is recent history. This is 75 years ago. Nicole was awesome enough, and I want to read it all the way through, to bring in the um, post. It was just the, so, the bill, basically. Yeah, so those are the evacuation orders. And you'll see pictures of military guys, like, you know, pounding them to 
you know, telephone poles. So those are posted all over uh, Los Angeles and well, all these other cities that were evacuated. So This is awesome that you brought this in. I'm going to read this from the top. Western Defense Command and 4th Army Wartime Civil Control Administration. So they had to create that. Talk about government bureaucracy. Just They had to create that <laughs> oh. agency just for this. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got a job now. <laughs> yeah. Presidio of San Francisco, California, May 3rd, 1942. Instructions to all persons of Japanese ancestry living in the following area. All of, of that portion of the city of Los Angeles, state of California, within the, that boundary beginning at the point at which North Figueroa Street, wow, meets a line following the middle of the Los Angeles River. I mean, this is where I, like, hang out, where I ride my bike. <laughs> Thence southern, southerly and following the said line to East First. Thence westerly on East First Street to Alameda Street. Oh, so that's a little Tokyo, right? Right. Yeah, All, yeah. You know, to make sure they got that specifically. Thence southerly on Alameda Street to East Third Street. Thence northwesterly on East Third Street to Main Street. Thence northerly of Main Street to First Street. Thence northwesterly of First Street to Figueroa Street. Thence northeasterly on Figueroa Street. To the point of beginning. This seems really contrived. <laughs> you know, very, very specific. Just say, yeah. well, the state of California. Pursuant to the provisions of Civilian Exclusion Order Number 33, this headquarters, dated March 3rd, 1942, all persons of Japanese ancestry, both alien and non-alien, that covers everybody, right? Yep. Will be evacuated from the above area by 12 o'clock noon, PWT, Saturday, May 9th, 1942. No Japanese person living in the above area will be permitted to change residence after 12 o'clock noon. PWT, Sunday, May 3rd, 1942, without obtaining special permission from the representative of the commanding general, Southern California Sector, at the Civil Control Station, located at Japanese Union Church, 120 North San Pedro Street, Los Angeles, California. Such permits will only be granted for the purpose of uniting members of a family or in cases of grave emergency. The civil control station is equipped to assist the Japanese population affected by this evacuation in the following ways. 1. Give advice and instructions on the evacuation. 2. Provide services with respect to the management, leasing, sale, storage, or other disposition of most kinds of properties such as real estate, business, and professional equipment, household goods, boats, automobiles, and livestock. Three, provide temporary residence elsewhere for all Japanese in family groups. Four, transport persons and a limited amount of clothing and equipment to their new residence, basically in one suitcase, right? Yep. The following instructions must be observed. This is in bold. One, a responsible member of each family preferably the head of the family or the person in whose name most of the property is held and each individual living alone will report to the civil control station to receive further instructions. This must be done between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Monday, May 4th, 1942, or between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. on Tuesday, May 5th, 1942. Two, evacuees must carry with them on departure for the assembly center the following property. A, 
bedding and linens, no mattress, for each member of the family. B. Toilet articles for each member of the family. C. Extra clothing for each member of the family. D. Sufficient knives, forks, spoons, plates, bowls, and cups for each member of the family. E. Essential personal effects for each member of the family. I want you, the listener, to put yourself in the situation of somebody reading this. Hanging on every single word written. Because this is your government telling you what to do. All items carried will be securely packaged, tied, and plainly marked with the same with the name of the owner and numbered in accordance with instructions obtained at the civil control station. The size and number of the packages is limited to that which can be carried by the individual or family group. Three, no pets of any kind will be permitted. Four, no personal items and no household goods will be shipped to the assembly center. Five, the United States government through its agencies will provide for the storage at the sole risk of the owner of the more substantial household items, such as ice boxes, washing machines, pianos, and other heavy furniture. Cooking utensils and other small items will be accepted for storage if created, packed, and plainly marked with the name and address of the owner. Only one name and address will be used by a given family. Six, each family and individual living alone will be furnished transportation to the assembly center or will be authorized to travel by private automobile in a supervised group. All instructions pertaining to the movement will be obtained by the civil control station. In bold, go to the civil control station between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday, May 4th, 1942, or between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Tuesday, May 5th, 1942, to research to receive further instructions, this is the end game. Come on in, turn yourself in. J.L. DeWitt, Lieutenant General, U.S. Army, commanding. This is not a foreign nation. This is this country. This is America that put out this order. And this is how you put bureaucracy behind prejudice, um, hatred. Um, that's shocking to read. I, 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 I put myself in that situation, being of Mexican descent, being Hispanic, and saying, well, just just replace the word Japanese an- ancestry Absolutely. with with Hispanic ancestry. Um, I know that this hits personally because you you are uh, your 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 parents were um, in in the internment camps, correct? Right. Um, I, I I was hoping we could segue um, from that to, uh, and I just found out Nicole's a published poet to this poignant poem um, about. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you take it away, Nicole. Well, um, starting in the 1970s, there were like renewed interest in the internment, like to like the second and third generation of Japanese Americans. Well, let me just jump ahead. Like, um, fortunately, I'm with a family from a family that would talk about the internment experience. A lot of people came from families where their parents just did not want to talk about it, whether it be shame or they just wanted to forget the whole that it ever happened. Um, so I was actually really lucky that um, when there was this renewed interest, we would take these pilgrimages to the camp where my father's family was interned, and that's Manzanar, and that's in California, so it's a lot closer. Yeah, because a lot of the camps are <laughs> really. I, 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 I think my, my, my the, the way I learned about it was in grade school um, when my teacher talked about the book um, "Farewell to Manzanar." Yeah, and I, I thought that was that's really freaky that that happened. Yeah. 
But uh, that, it was kind of a children's book, so it, yeah. it wasn't too grim. A- as an adult, as a taxpayer in this country, right. putting myself in that situation is just, it's just, uh, I-, I can't even wrap my head around it. So, um, so from the age of 10, I was going on these, you know, annual treks to, you know, they would get on all these buses and we'd go up to Manzanar. So, um, as a poet, you know, those, that experience and also just dealing with issues of identity. Cause it's at that, that point, it's like, you know, my family was locked up for just being Japanese. It's like, am I Japanese? Do I, do I still claim that? It's so, I always wrestle with it, but this is just basically, um, it's called Desert Dust, and it's just about um, one of those trips to Manzanar. Desert Dust. Through a bus window, I gaze into the desert. The Joshua tree prays for us. Wind blows, walls of dust, blows back time. To reenact a journey, when my family did not know their destination, when shades were pulled. At a place where apple trees once grew, wildflowers are worn down. Stone circling trees, scattered monuments, reminders of a time when people lived here. Mountains far removed are the only friendly objects in this place. Dust consumes my shoe. The mountain reminds my cousin of Mount Fuji. She doesn't know why, but I do. My father tells a story about his best friend, who never saw the mountain because he never looked up. At lunch, Grandma laughs. Someone who has never been here tries to keep dust out of his milk. As soon as he knocks off one layer, another takes its place. Grandma tells me, we had to deal with that every day. Couldn't keep dust out of the barrack. My mind wanders. This all began with the words, May 3rd, 1942, instructions to all persons of Japanese ancestry. These people don't look like the enemy. Meanwhile, the dust storm has won today. We cannot do the dance for the dead and retreat within a cloud of light brown dust. That's what we do in, in, in <laughs> that the That was the really small period of... Um... I, I love that because it, it, it puts the a listener, when I heard you say that the first time, it... You know, we can say, we can kind of remove ourselves. Yeah. You know, I think that's a self-defense mechanism, you know, like, but these people who did absolutely nothing had everything taken from them and were put into makeshift army barracks. Yeah. You know, I I just read the famous instructions to all persons of Japanese ancestry. Um, But preceding that, you know, we, we throw the word and people know the words executive order, especially a lot lately. <laughs> but this was something that was just handed down from Franklin, uh, from Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And like I said, Nicole's been awesome through this. She just gave me transcript of executive order 9066. Should I try for Roosevelt's vo- voice? Oh, on this? it's kind of hard to do that nasally. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Like... The president. Okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna read it in, in 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 my in my voice. Executive order number nine zero six six. The president. This one isn't that long, people. Sorry. Uh, authorizing the secretary of war to prescribe military areas, whereas the successful prosecution of the war requires every possible protection against espionage and against sabotage to national defense material national defense premises, and national defense utilities, as defined in Section 4 of Act of of April 20th. I'll skip through these. There's a lot of numbers here. Next paragraph. 
Now, therefore, by virtue of the authority vested in me as President of the United States and Commander-in-Chief of the Army, Navy, I hereby authorize and direct the Secretary of War and the military commanders whom he may from time to time designate, whenever he or any designated commander deems such action necessary or desirable, to prescribe military areas in such places and of such extent as he or the appropriate military commander may determine, from which any or all persons may be excluded, and with respect to which the right of any person to enter, remain in, or leave shall be subject to whatever restrictions the Secretary of War or the appropriate military commander may impose in his discretion. The Secretary of War is hereby authorized to provide for residents of any such area who are excluded therefrom such transportation, food, shelter, and other accommodations as may be necessary. In the judgment of the Secretary of War and or the said military commander, and until other arrangements are made to accomplish the purpose of this order. The designation of military areas in region or locality shall supersede designations of prohibited and restricted areas by the Attorney General under the proclamations of December 7th and 8th, 1941, and shall, be, and shall supersede the responsibility and authority of the Attorney General under the said proclamations in respect of such prohibited and restricted areas. So this is the president saying that the attorney general has no right to stop me doing this on the last oh, sentence. Oh, wow. Authority of the attorney general under set. So th this supersedes So he's taking that. wartime. Yeah, wartime action. Action. I hereby further authorize and direct the secretary of war and the said military commanders to take such other steps as he or the appropriate military commander may deem advisable to enforce compliance with the restrictions applicable to each military area here and above authorized to be designated, including the use of federal troops and other federal agencies with authority to accept assistance of state and local agencies. I hereby further authorize and direct all executive departments, independent establishments, and other federal agencies to assist the Secretary of War or the said military commanders in carrying out this executive order including the furnishing of medical aid, hospitalization, food, clothing, transportation, use of land, shelter, and other supplies, equipment, utilities, facilities, and services. This order shall not be construed as modifying or limiting in any way the authority heretofore granted under Executive Order Number 8972, dated December 12, 1941 nor shall it be construed as limiting or modifying the duty and responsibility of the Federal Bureau of Investigations with respect to the investigation of alleged acts of sabotage or the duty and respons responsibility of the Attorney General and the Department of Justice under proclamations of December 7th and 8th, 1941, prescribing regulations for the con conduct and control of alien enemies, except as such duty and responsibility is superseded by the designation of military areas here under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the White House, February 19th, 1941. When you see Trump sign that executive order and turn that towards the camera. Somehow, though, just, I don't think it was that detailed or I don't uh, think uh, that, that he, he, he's, he's capable of, of actually <laughs> writing it himself. Um, that's an executive order yeah. saying that, um, yeah, screw your rights. You're, you're, you're going to get thrown away. Now, if we can kind of put ourselves in the place of the common American at the point 
of the Pearl Harbor attack, which was a surprise attack. You know, no, no declaration of war was made. Yes. And never on Sunday. Yeah, never on Sunday. Um, I was reading in, in, in this book that uh, Nicole let me borrow, uh, the, uh, the Yankee Samurai, which is an awesome book. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through it. That it was actually a vacation day. When it was they Sunday. Struck. It was the Sunday. And, um, they had just gotten paid on Friday. And so they were all kind of hungover. Yeah. 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 They, they, were, they weren't uh, on their way back from church. No. They, they were, <laughs> they, they, they were they actually drank cl- their cl- climbing. Yeah. They, they, they had drank their paychecks or they were, they were coming out of the uh, brothel um, uh, bleary-eyed when they were attacked. So it was hard for Japanese Americans, Americans of Japanese ancestry anyways, yeah, right. before the attack on, on, on Pearl Harbor, you know? Um, and so the irrational move was to, and, and when we are under attack, you can take nine 11, for instance, uh, government tends to be irrational in right. its reaction. Right. Um, this is one of the most irrational saying that, well, there must be spies and espionage, right. uh, for, for anybody who's Japanese, just based on the way they look, it makes me, repeat i say this all the time people were crazy not too long ago and i think they're still kind of crazy. in fact yeah. i think it's come around again it just got more hidden more subtle you know yeah it got more hidden mm-hmm. you're, you're 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 right about that so um let, let me uh start the this uh this interview um basically it's my first interview uh what stories do you have uh from your parents about the the camps well, I think first of all, like uh, my dad did a, um, he went to a class of, I don't know what grade, second graders. And, you know, they always want to hear these horror stories. And it's for, first of all, it's nothing. Uh, and I refuse to call them concentration camps because of the baggage of the camps in Germany. Yeah. And they were not death auto- camps. People right? automatically draw that parallel. And uh, it's nothing like that in, in, in the, the goal Reagan was Reagan wouldn't have to pay anybody if it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't trying to kill off the Japanese. They just wanted them off the land in California, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I like to use the word internment because it really was a prison camp. You were being held against your will, basically. And yeah. um, so I, I like to start there. So, But for some reason, like when, when my dad was still alive and, and people would talk to him, they wanted to hear like how, you know, how bad it was. Um, but you have to understand, like, it depends on how old you are, were when you went to camp. And for my dad, he was seven years old. And they, at the time, were picking onions from sunrise to sunset. So actually getting sent to camp was kind of like a vacation. Yeah. And, um, and also within the camps, the family structure kind of broke down. Like, the, in Japanese culture, the man is the head of household. He sort of lost, so the, the fathers kind of lost their position in the family because they weren't in control anymore. So that kind of affects, it depends on how old the kids were when they were in camp. So like, so if you were, you know, a, a father at the time, it was really hard because you suddenly lost all your, your respect and um, kids were running wild and, and, and sort of things. So the stories I hear is a lot of uh, like the kids running wild, just absolute mayhem. It was like a permanent vacation. They did have schools yeah, I, in I, camp. I, I heard uh, George Takei uh, talking about uh, the internment camps of John Stewart, who had no idea. Yeah, he, um, I mean, he he he's from the camps, and he said it was yeah. treated like a vacation. You right. Know? Yeah. 
So, but um, except you just have to forget that there were guard towers, and yeah. they, they told the Japanese, "Oh, it's for your protection." But the the, the what the Japanese older Japanese Americans will always say, "But yeah, but the guns were pointing inside." Oh, really? They had guard towers with guns, like all those those guard towers. They had the searchlights and you know long guns, rifles. And I guess it just became the new normal. I, how it does, but yeah, you know, you know, so you were free, but within like, you know, the square camp with barbed wire on top of it, you couldn't leave. <laughs> yeah. So. And I, I just learned, I mean, I think a few weeks ago that, you know, we uh, we're in Burbank, you go up Hollywood way, you know, on your way to Burbank airport. Mm-hmm. On your right side, there were old barracks, correct? No, they weren't barracks. So this is, it's technically um, where people went after camp. Because once the war was over, um, the Japanese had nowhere to go. So I think they were basically given like, I think $20 each and like, you can go, they're on your merry way. But because of the prejudice, sort of like a halfway home. Basically, yes. So they weren't able to get jobs because of discrimination. but my dad's family wanted to come back to Los Angeles. So, um, so it was technically called trailer camp. And uh. it, it was set up by a wartime commission. I, I think it was mentioned in that article that I gave to you about it. Um, and, and my dad's stories said that trailer camp was way worse than internment camp. Because at least, really? like prison, in the internment camp, you, you got three meals a day. You know, um, yeah, but in a trailer camp, it's like, you had to fend for yourself to, you know, buy food for your family, and, you know, um, again with the prejudice involved in not being able to get work, it was is really tough. So now, now in, no in structure. Term, yeah, internment relocation centers. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's Manzanar. Uh, there's Tool Lake. I see right here. Was it Santa Anita as well? So those were assembly centers, and then there's internment camps. So okay. Santa Anita was an assembly center. So thank God my family, my dad's family, um, went directly to Manzanar. They didn't go have to go to an assembly center. So the assembly center like Santa Anita, but that's also um, like the um, Tuna, Latunia Canyon facility. Yeah. So that was, so I, I didn't know that there were barracks there, but I guess they were there long enough that they had to build them. And, and up the street, there was an assembly center. Uh, yeah, I don't know where it was yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, yeah, Santa Anita, where you bet on horses. Right. Yeah. So they <laughs> basically cleaned out the stalls and then took the horse out, cleaned the stall out, and then put a family in there. Yeah, that's crazy. So uh, yeah, they 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 were staying in stalls. Pomona, California. Yeah. From about where I was, Tulare, Fresno, Salinas, Pinedale, California, Merced, Sherlock, Stockton, Tanforan, Sacramento, Marysville, Portland, Puyallup, Washington. How do oh, you? Uh, sorry, is that, uh, is that Palump? Uh, yeah, P U Y A L L U P. Oh, okay. Puyallup, okay, Washington. And then Latuna Canyon is that listed there? Latuna Canyon is uh, no. Uh, there, there's different types of okay. camps here. I'll, right. I'll show that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's such a sweeping order. You get anybody who's oh, Japanese. key assembly centers. Yeah. So there are smaller ones. So, and and this is just this is my naive my my naivete mm-hmm. coming up coming out, but sometimes Asian people look alike. Well, really. so there were terrible stories. Like there was a Chinese guy that got killed. Really? Yeah, he was jumped. I should know his name, but I don't. But 
we can look it up later. But yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and this, this sweeping order to get an entire race of people corralled. Right. So one of the things that came out with um, the um, Supreme Court cases is that the information that was used to, to locate the Japanese people it was technically illegal. So like when you, we did a census a few years ago, right? And they promise you that information is private. Mm-hmm. They actually used the U.S. census information to locate the Japanese. Really? And it's totally so illegal. So that, that information at the end where you say, what, what's your ethnicity? Yeah. They in, used in to... In your census. Wow. Yes. Because I, 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 what I want to do for the listener is kind of relate it to your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Because you do a census, you mm-hmm. pay you pay taxes, and you feel you, like it's a duty, right? You, yeah, you're, you're required you're to do it. They, right? they, you're on the grid. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you just a jury duty, right? Yeah. So, so the government knows where you're at. So, if they right. want to pluck you out, you know, if it, the, if they abuse the power that they're given and violate the law, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, um, <laughs> so when the Japanese Americans um, completed redress and got reparations, um, a lot of the old Timers. This was 1988. Yeah. But it took a few years, and it wasn't until actually Bush was in office. It was 20,000 per survivor. Uh-huh. And they waited until half of them were dead, by the way. But um, so <laughs> Convenient. Convenient. And, um, but a lot of the old timers, they wanted them to register because people have moved since the war. And, um, but a lot of the old, old guys were like, they failed me the first time. They can find me the second time. And they refused to give them the new, the new address. Really? They, they didn't care about the money. They were like, the government found me the first time. Like, let them try to find me again. Yeah, yeah. Put in the, the same kind of effort that you put in to, to put me in a camp. Yes. Um, I, I actually have, have this, this number right here that um, the incarceration cost the Japanese people uh, in today's value $4 billion because their assets were completely taken from them. But that doesn't even account the farmlands that they weren't allowed to own that they really wanted them to be moved off of because they weren't allowed to own property. So I don't even think that accounts for, you know, the most fertile farmland in California. So, so you, you actually blew my mind with this fact and, and, and I I had to to dive deeper, but one of the main backers of the Japanese, the forcible removal of the Japanese from the West coast is so specific. Like why, you know, um, it wasn't the rest of the country. If it was a wartime necessity, you know, uh, they they weren't removed from Hawaii because they were like half the population, right? Yeah. But if you really think about military, just think about military strategy, you know, why did they specifically have to be removed from California? And the answer is like the biggest backer of the forcible removal of the Japanese from the West Coast was the California Farmers Association. The California Farmers Association. What do you think they have to gain from this listener, <laughs> a, a lot of land, a lot of property. That was like, the most valuable uh, agricultural real estate almost in the world. Wow. They, cho- they, they, they you know, strove to benefit from this. Oh, yeah. In fact, they were, it was already becoming a problem because if you look at the history, the pre-war history, the Japanese were forbidden from owning land. Um, um, they were allowed to lease it, but they were not, at, and they were not able to pass it on to their children. But eventually, their children were going to be—they were American-born citizens, and they didn't have the, those laws wouldn't apply to their their uh, their natural-born children. And they were trying to think of like, oh, well, what do we do? And 
just kind of in a weird stroke of luck, Pearl Harbor happened. Yeah. So and so this, you know, um, I forget who said it, but you know, you never let a tragedy go to waste. You know, and uh, they basically took advantage. And of, to just of look at the time period between Pearl Harbor and the evacuation and from December yeah, it was a couple to months. May. Yeah. The yeah, actual for- evacuation was in May. I mean that. When does government move that fast? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they tried to with this uh, travel ban. Um, apparently, the Department of Justice found out about it from the news. So uh, one year after the executive order um, was passed, uh, Roosevelt had a questionnaire for every uh, oh, Japanese-American. Yes. Number 27 stuck out. Uh, the questionnaire that you had to fill out was, what is your willingness to join the armed forces? Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember, you're you're in camp for a year, and are you willing to 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 sacrifice your life for this government that's done this to you? And number twenty eight, would you cut ties with Japan and the emperor? Right. Which is so strangely worded because many of these people have no ties to the emperor. Absolutely. So if you were to say no, well, that's the bad. But yes, would mean that you had ties to the emperor. Right. You had ties to Japan. Right. So people straight up refused to fill out the question. So the the, 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 the the resistors were called the no-no boys. The no-no boys, yes. huh? Yeah. And, um, well, within my family, we did have some relatives that answered no and no. The two questions that were the two big ones is the one after the ties to Japan. It's like swear um, allegiance? allegiance to the United States. So those are the two big ones. So if you answered no to those two... So if you don't think it can get worse, so if you're in just a regular internment camp, not that it was great, yeah. you actually got sent to Tule Lake, which is actually a for real prison I, camp. I, I read an article on Tule Lake and, and the revolt from uh, the people that worked the land. Yeah. And uh, it's just making them work for slave wages. But it was also like even worse than regular internment camp because yeah. at that point you were considered like dangerous. So... Uh, but just for answering those two questions, no and no. That's you, when you get sent to Tule Lake. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's where you, you go basically hard labor. I mean, this isn't Soviet Russia. This <laughs> exactly. is the United States of America mm-hmm. that had just basically slave labor right. you know, out, of, out of its citizens for their race. Right. Now, the amazing part of the story is this book, Yankee Samurai about these brave U.S. Jap- Americans of Japanese ancestry mm-hmm. that fought in the Pacific War for the very well, country. Well, they weren't allowed to fight in the Pacific Theater because oh, they were afra- right. afraid of fending fire, so they went to Europe. Yeah. and, and, and Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where, where all the action was. And basically fought for America. So they yeah. were the most highly decorated units of their size because they was a segregated unit, first of all. You have to remember that. And they were given... It's like the blacks that fought for the South in the Civil War. But they were given like the, all the suicide missions. Like, see that nest of Nazis? Go clear that out. R- yeah. Charge up that hill. Yeah, j- jump, jump into that beehive. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, so that's how they got a lot of uh, medals of honors and Purple Hearts because... Uh, they did die for their country <laughs> and get wounded. It's a, it's a fascinating story because I mean, I, I, like I said, just put yourself in their in their shoes. But I, I I well, my dad used to always humorously say though, like the, as the guys got older, the 
veterans of the 442nd and 100th Battalion, their stories got a little bit more florid every year. Like, oh, I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove I was willing to die for my country. I wanted to be a good American. But if you would ask them when they were younger, like, why did you join up? And they would say, I wanted to get out of camp. Yeah. <laughs> like getting shot at was better than sitting behind barbed wire. I'm bored. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so it's 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 just it's just uh it it, it blows my mind that that this happened in, in our relatively recent. You can still history, talk to these people that, that survived the experience. Yeah, I yeah mean, that's that, that that's that survived this. Yeah. over uh, an overreaction. Now I you brought in another uh, item here that I wanted to, to dissect, and, and, and I really like this. Um, this talks about the presidential power. So remember, this. there's a uh, 14th Amendment in place at this point, you know? that Really? Yes. That you have rights, you have protection. Right. And this uh, executive order basically went right over it. Well, so, so th- what I remember is that seven of the 10 Bill of Rights were violated by the... 9066. Yes. And uh, this little article on presidential power, quote, The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. The president shall be commander in chief of the army and navy. Article 2, section 1 and 2. Quote, whereas the successful prosecution of the war requires every possible protection against espionage and sabotage, I read this earlier, to national defense material, national defense premises, and national defense utilities. The justification for the assurance of Executive Order 9066 was to protect the nation against espionage and sabotage. The order, however, was applied to all persons of Japanese ancestry, regardless of age, sex, citizenship, loyalty, infirmity, or degree of ancestry. Everybody's going in, even the babies. The only thing that mattered was ancestry. As a consequence, newborn babies, young children, the infirm or bedridden, the blind or paralyzed, the very elderly, and others who could not possibly be a threat to national security were included in the mass roundup. Some 2,000 children under under five years of age, 15,500 children under 10 years of age, 2,000 persons over 65 years of age and 1,000 seriously handicapped or bedridden persons were all shipped off to detention camps because, you know, 1,000 handicapped persons, bedridden people, are going to be a threat to the nation's security. Let's see. I'm watching a picture of somebody being loaded onto a train car in a bed. That's amazing. I see a person being carried onto a train car Paraplegic man being taken into custody. Facing page lower. Bedridden elderly man arrives at Heat Heart Mountain from Tool Lake. That's the bad place. Yeah. September 1942. Executive Order 9066 included individuals for whom the commission of espionage and sabotage was totally impossible. Thus, the stated purpose of the executive order is highly suspect and the real purpose, the removal and confinement of an ethnic group, regardless of citizenship, was constitutionally indefensible as part of the presidential power. So my mom was all of 18 months old. So I, used to, I always joke. She was a baby. Yeah. Like, what threat to national security was she? Was this infant. Yeah. And here's why I think this is really relevant. I, I want to I wanna bring it home. Um, 
we I sometimes think about uh, nine twelve. That's what 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 I'd call it um, is the next terror attack, <laughs> and it's and you ask any expert, it's not a question of if it's when. And if it happens to be a a person of Muslim origin, we have a highly irrational person in the White House, and you compare him to one of the most rational presidents we've had. Franklin Roosevelt. Yeah. What makes you think he wouldn't pull that executive order and put Muslims into internment camps? Only reason why he can't is because of the Japanese Americans during the 1980s passed legislation to make sure that didn't happen again. So that's why I told you that's why Guantanamo Bay is actually in Cuba. Ah. So they can't have another camp on U.S. soil. But... Then again, that, that stuff can get overturned. Executive power has, has been has been stretched out by our previous presidents. Well, and then the Patriot Patriot Act, you know, just waters down your rights as citizens in in, in same ideology, right? Because for, in a time of war, we need more power, right? Yeah, exactly. And we never get presidents that want to scale back their power. Absolutely. And say, hey, you know, things have gone kind of far here. I think I'm going to, to scale things back. Uh, don't, don't think that it's something, see, those who do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. Don't think that, um, insanity, uh, has, has taken a backseat to rational, rationality today. Uh, be vigilant because I, I, I just, I, I put myself in, in that situation. There's, there's an order on, on, on the post and people, are saying, hey, you're Mexican, right? Well, you're going away for a while. Uh, you're Japanese. You're, you're whatever ancestry that you are. And the government, due to executive order, is ordering you to be put away for an indeterminate amount of time. How long was the internment uh, um, for? So it was like between one and three years. So my yeah. dad was actually in Manzanar for three years. So, yeah. But they were like the first to arrive and the, the last to leave. Well, they got um, the full experience. Exactly. And so my, um, my dad's youngest sister, uh, my Aunt Joyce, was like all of 10 days old when they left. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you said that they just, uh, they were like bunnies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what my, I always tell people, the camp couldn't have been too bad. My dad's family went in with six kids and they came out with eight. So okay, yeah, life yeah. still went on. Yeah, in the exactly. Camps. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not much to do except for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, this, on this entire experience, you know, uh, reading up on this, uh, the articles that uh, you've given me, Nicole, has been really enlightening for me. And uh, I want to say thank you for being on, on the show. Sure. And thank you for sharing this part of your family's history. Well, it used to seem like it was safe in the past. It was, it was family history. And it's just been shocking me every day how completely relevant and pressing it is now it's like i and, and so the i get kind things, of riled up because it's yeah, like oh the more my god things change the more they stay the same but the fact that i feel like within my lifetime that i'm seeing this possibly happen to another group of people and i feel like because of my family history i have like an obligation to do, to do something to speak out and that's why i was happy to be here because it's just you just I, I feel like helpless like watching watching history repeat itself and i i can't There's like it's something is so against my 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 nature like who i am 
I can't possibly let this happen to another group of people. Yeah, things are more heated right now than I can ever remember in my lifetime yeah. between you know racial groups and especially uh, religious groups. Um, it's there's no easy answers uh, for it, but if uh, you know, God forbid, the next terror attack, um, we're gonna make irrational decisions, and yeah. we need rationality to. To, to rise above because we, we kind of gave up our, our fourth amendment after the last terror attack, you know? Um, and you know, now with S with, with spying, you know, this is called the wiretap, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, everything we're saying is, and, and the whole premise of that is like, if we're going to be talking about this, we might as well put it out there ourselves and have control of that. So, um, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you very mu much, oh, sure. Nicole, for being here. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your family's story. Um, listeners, what did you think? Did you like this? Would you like Nicole back? I would. Uh, let us know. Um, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please share with your friends. Um, we're about information. We're about informing people and empowering people. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe out there. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>